it looks like I'm walking with a slight limp, it's because I am. Sprained my ankle wrestling a bear this week. I can't lie, I went down a slide at a kid's park. <laughs> Getting old, am I right? <laughs> How does that even, I had my, I had Nora with me and it was a steep slide and it was, it was, there's moisture. I feel like I'm trying to create an excuse, but let's just say it was, it was a steep slide. But uh, feeling good to be here with you this morning. We are in the middle, or actually we're finishing up, a two-part series on the theme of Christian hope. Last week, we read 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where scripture tells us that our hope is bound to Jesus Christ and his resurrection. We have a hope in our future because those who place their faith in Christ will be raised to new life. And our faith in God is rightly placed because God made a promise and God always keeps his promises. Well, some may say that it's great to have hope in God's promised future, but what about the present? We're here talking about what's gonna happen you know, in the future. Meanwhile, people are suffering here and now. German theologian Jorgen Moltmann, who I've talked about before, came to faith while being held in a British prisoner of war camp during World War II. After being drafted into Hitler's army as a teenager, Moltmann, who received his first Bible in that prisoner of war camp, would go on to be one of the most important Christian theologians of the 20th century. He's still alive today. He is perhaps most known for publishing a book called The Theology of Hope in 1964. But in April of 1968, Moltmann was in the United States at a HOPE conference at Duke University. And right in the middle of this HOPE conference, someone bursts through the doors and shouts out, Martin Luther King has just been shot! The HOPE conference ended immediately. Reflecting back on that day, Moltmann says, the participants in the conference returned home because many cities in America were burning that night. But I promised my American friends that whenever I returned to their country, I would not speak about the theology of hope, but of the cross. Moltmann went home to Germany and wrote one of the most important books in Christian theology called The God Crucified, where he explores this idea of a God who suffers for us and with us. As we highlighted last week, the Apostle Paul was no stranger to suffering in verse 24 from our text this morning, Paul says, I am rejoicing in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his sake, that is, the body, his church. 
Paul rejoices in his sufferings. He writes this letter from a prison where he's being held for proclaiming the gospel, but he rejoices even though he's having a hard time because he knows that the work he has done has brought hope to the churches like the one in Colossae. And when Paul says, I am completing what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, in no way is he seeking to minimize Christ's atonement on the cross. The work of Christ for our salvation is complete and sufficient. But, but Paul is connecting his own suffering to what happened to Jesus. Paul says in Romans, if we suffer with Christ, we will also be glorified with Christ. What this means is that there is a closeness. There is an intimacy available to us when we suffer. A closeness with Christ who suffered greatly. Paul reminds us in Romans 8 that the suffering of this present age cannot even be compared to the glory that is to be revealed in God's future. In fact, Paul even goes on to compare the suffering of this world to a woman in labor pain. Paul says in Romans 8, 22 through 24, We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains. And not only the creation, but we ourselves groan inwardly while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope, we were saved. As many of you know, Sarah and I are eagerly expecting the birth of our second child. Now, having been there when Nora was born, I feel like I can speak with a certain level of authority about birthing pains. (laughs) Actually, the only thing I can really say is that women are way tougher than men. Sarah was in labor for almost 24 hours, which made it really hard on me to sleep. Just kidding. I did not, well, I guess I did sleep a little bit. But you, I mean, it's no excuse. In truth, I didn't want to miss any part of it. The hard part, the beautiful part at the end, the really hard part when we went to the NICU for a week, but even the more beautiful part when we got to take Nora home. I asked Sarah this last week if the pain and suffering of childbirth can even compare to the joy she experiences now with our daughter, Nora. She just looked at me and said, childbirth is painful, but you don't think twice at it once you're holding your baby. The suffering and the pain is real, absolutely. And there are many people in this room who have firsthand experience with various kinds of suffering in this life. But God wants us to understand the difference between the suffering we experience now compared to the future glory. The suffering we experience now 
is a sign, is a symptom of what is to come in the birth of God's new creation. And that's where hope meets the present today. God began this process of new creation in the resurrection of Jesus, and he will complete it when he comes again in glory. But in the meantime, God moves his redemptive story forward, and he uses us as stewards of this message of hope. Paul says in our text, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We are not the hope. Jesus is the hope. But it is our task to bring that message of hope to the world. After all, Jesus says in Matthew 5 to his followers, you are the light of the world. Last week, we talked about the pervasiveness of despair in our culture. And friends, if we are being honest with ourselves, if we take a real look around outside, the truth is, the lack of hope in our country is on our hands. The message of hope for the world will not come from political leaders. It will not come from advances in science and technology and healthcare. Hope will not come from a growing economy. Sure, we can have wishful thinking about all of those things, and we are even called to work in those things and make them better. But hope will only come from Jesus Christ. He is the only eternal hope. And friends, if hope only comes for Jesus Christ, Paul's words, Christ in you, the hope of glory. If the church has been tasked to carry this message of hope, are we taking that task seriously? If we have hope, are we sharing it with the people around us? As Christians, we carry a vision of God's future world. Revelation 21 describes it this way, God will dwell with mortals. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more, for the first things have passed away. In God's future, there will be no injustice or abuse or racism or war or disease. And as God's people, we are called to point the world to that future based on how we live now in the present. We read 
in Philippians 3 that we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we read that we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We represent a different world, friends, one that is to come. And if we want this world here and now to see glimpses of that hope of what is to come, we must show them. Our mission is to point people to God's future by how we live in the present. And we do this through love, worship, work, art, relationships, how we share and spend our resources, our willingness to forgive and extend grace, and of course, always being ready to give an account for the hope that is inside of you. We have to be willing to share it. Anthony Bresnikin, who is a senior writer with Entertainment Weekly, talks about a dark season in his life that happened a number of years ago when he was in college. Anthony describes it this way. I was having a hard time. The future seemed dark. I was struggling, lonely, dealing with a lot of broken pieces and not adjusting well. It was easy to feel hopeless, he writes. And during a particularly hard day, as Anthony walked out of his dorm room feeling low, he heard familiar music coming from the empty TV common room. It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. And there was Mr. Rogers on TV asking his television neighbors, what do you do when you feel mad or sad? Anthony watched the show as a little kid, but he had long since grown out of it. Anthony writes, it feels silly to say, it felt silly then, but I stood mesmerized. His show felt like a cool hand on a hot head. Fred Rogers, as many of you know, was a Presbyterian minister commissioned by the church to bring God's love and hope to children through educational public television. His show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, ran for 31 years and influenced countless children, by far the most influential Presbyterian minister in the 20th century. Anthony Bresnikin felt that hope that day when he watched the show in college. As a matter of fact, a few days after that, he was in the city riding an elevator. When the doors opened, the real Fred Rogers walked onto the elevator. Anthony couldn't believe it. He stood there scared, a little celebrity shy, realizing that this man had almost saved his life a couple of days before with his show. And as they got to the bottom, rode down, the doors opened, Anthony walked off, 
And then he mustered up the courage, turned around, and said, Mr. Rogers, I don't want to bother you, but thank you. Fred Rogers just looks at Anthony and says, tell me, did you grow up as one of my neighbors? Anthony said he felt like crying and said, yes, I did. Fred Rogers lifted his arms up and said, it's good to see you again, neighbor. And the two embraced and gave a hug. Mr. Rogers could feel that Anthony was upset. And so after they hugged, Fred Rogers undid his scarf, motioned over to the windows and sat down on the ledge and asked Anthony to come sit with him. And he says, tell me, what's been upsetting you? And the two talked and talked and talked about life and death, family and loss. The more I read about Fred Rogers, who passed away in 2003, the more I realized that he had countless encounters like these, where he would care for someone or do everything he could to show that a child was worthy of love. Being a person of hope in a dark world. Fred Rogers lived on a hope mission every single day. The world needs more of that from us. It's our time to step up. Sometimes a kind word or asking a probing question is all it takes for God to open up a door to let hope come into someone's heart. If we wake up in the mornings and we pray for opportunities, saying, God, let me take this hope that I carry and share it, I guarantee we will be amazed by the results. Paul says in verse 29 from our text, For this I toil and struggle with all of the energy he powerfully inspires within me. Paul is able to spread hope every day because he has Christ dwelling in his heart. We cannot share hope apart from Jesus. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The title of my sermon this morning is called Passionate Hope. The word passion comes from the Greek word pathema. It's the same word that Paul uses in verse 24 from our text. It means suffering. To be passionate about something means you are willing to suffer for it. This is why we call the crucifixion of Jesus the passion of Christ. To be passionate about hope is to be willing to sacrifice, to endure, to persist, so that others can hear that message of hope, that they may see it 
and feel it when they interact with you. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, you are our hope. We invite you, Lord, to dwell among us, to live in our hearts, fill us up, inspire us, Lord, to be beacons of hope in this world. Jesus, may we see that the hope is your responsibility, but carrying the message is our responsibility. May we work toward it. May we point this world to your new creation, that glorious world that is to come, as you work out your love in the present. In Jesus' name, amen.